back. This is Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the virtual church classroom of Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. I'm Pastor Dan. I'm joined by Bethany, my daughter, and we're here to take you through uh, episode four of the, uh, almost said Knowing God with Heart and Mind. We already covered that, of the uh, Mere Christianity book study by C.S. Lewis, and so that's where we are, episode four. It's being recorded on March the 22nd, 2019. I say it also slowly because I'm trying to make sure that I'm right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, if you write these things down, it helps quite a bit. Anyhow, welcome to the classroom again. If you're here for the first time, we're really thrilled that you've joined us. This is an ongoing offering of Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. If you want to know about Shiloh, just go to shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M dot org. Now, this week we are studying what will be chapter three of of, uh, book two, and uh, I'm 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 sorry. Uh, book book one. one. We're not that far into it. I may have to start over, Beth. I, well, <laughs> so regular listeners might notice that my dulcet tones are somewhat limited today because I've been fighting some sort of epizootie this week that's got me clogged up in the head and and coughing constantly, and I may end up coughing in the midst of our recording here, but. Uh, but I, I'm still with you, my friends. So let's just try that again. It's book one, chapter three. Book one, chapter three is what we're dealing with. And that's the chapter about right and wrong as a clue to the meaning of the universe. So the reality of the law, that's what we're covering right now. But listen, before we get started, you know, each week I hope it will open with something interesting and, uh, this one has zero to do with uh, C.S. Lewis, but right before we started recording, Bethany and I were chatting, and I happened to notice that there was a road accident near where we used to live when we served a church in another community involving 3,000 piglets. Think about that, my friends. 3,000 piglets loose on the interstate. I just feel like you can't be mad that you're stuck in a traffic jam if you get up there and see baby pigs running around everywhere. <laughs> like, that's like got to be one of the cutest reasons to be stuck in traffic ever. Somehow I think that has to go viral at some point. <laughs> I, I, surely somebody will catch a good video. I or, hope so, because that's but... like... That's you know, so great. Like, you might be late for work, but it was because there were baby pigs in the road. Like, it's kind of like so... saying your dog ate the homework, you know? It actually happens sometimes, yeah. but who's going to believe you when you show up late for work and you say, you're not going to believe this, but I was in a traffic jam. There were 3,000 piglets <laughs> running around on the interstate. So, Yeah. That's just, like, so cute. I love it. So that sort of uh, absurd reality takes us now to the (laughs) not-so-absurd realities of good and evil and all of that. So in Chapter 3 of Book 1, the... What's, well, Bethany, what's the 10,000-foot view of Chapter 3? What's what's the basic premise behind Chapter 3? Oh. Well, he's like, I mean, it's kind of like chapter two. He's refuting some things that people have said. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, it's really, he's just. So he's just, he's still, in fact, I, I think the fact that he divides this into books, um, you know, I inadvertently jumped into book two, but, but book one uh, is basically his, here's the, the humanistic view. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's putting it out there and then arguing against it in, yeah. in effect. So, so let's see. In review, he says there are two odd things about the human race. That's in paragraph one. Mm-hmm. What are those two odd things? <laughs> it's, it's classic Lewis. Because the first thing he, the first one he says is that like humans are haunted by this whole idea of like the behavior they should practice and like decency and the moral law, and the second thing he says is that they don't do it. Hmm. So they're haunted by it, but they don't actually do it, <laughs> which I just think is really funny. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> like here's um, the two odd things. <laughs> it's kind of like. Um, I'm trying to think. I I think it was Red Skelton and, you know, my old time radio uh, love. And and I think it's when he plays the mean little kid that he'll say the the devil made me do it. Right. He he knows it's wrong, but he's going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And and that's one of the things that the mean little kid would always do. He'd say. He you he he would think out loud, you know, because it's radio, and he would say, "Now I know Mamaw's gonna yell at me for doing this, but I'm gonna do it anyway." And then he does. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and this this little obnoxious kid is just you know a holy unholy terror. Yes. But uh, but that's just one of the many characters of Red Skelton. So. I commend that to you if you are not uh, familiar with old-time radio or even old television shows from as late as the 70s. You know, Red Skelton, one of the funniest people that ever lived. Yes. So, yeah, um, you know, the fact is, is we know what the law is or we know certain things are wrong, but we do them anyway. Well, it's like somebody sitting, like someone sitting in a philosophy class contemplating ethics but then they leave that class and do something, not even like something major, but they just do something like they run it, like they walk into somebody on the sidewalk and don't even think about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's like, well, we well, can, it, we can talk about it, but then we don't always follow through. This is, uh, this has been a theme that I've run since we started this and, and it really is consistent because, I am struggling with my own bad habit of complaining about the other drivers on the road. Um, it, it's not like I rage or anything. I don't. I don't think anybody would be aware of what I'm thinking as I'm driving. Mm-hmm. But I'm aware of what I'm thinking, and I don't like what I'm thinking because mm-hmm. some person will pull out in front of me in what I consider too little space for safety, or yeah. someone will roll through a stop sign, and someone will turn without signaling, and and I notice all of this stuff because apparently I don't have enough on my mind. I have to judge the other drivers mm-hmm. and score them on their driving uh, acumen. But then I'll turn around five minutes after judging one of those people and I will do what doesn't appear to someone else to be a complete stop or uh, a long enough signal or I will drive faster than the speed limit in some mm-hmm. place just because I'm letting gravity take my car a little faster and so you know it, it really is sort of like we're awfully hostile towards each other in our judgments but you know 
we might want to just try to focus on what we're doing and and it's that intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Yep, yep. So, uh, so one may say that breaking the moral law of right and wrong only points out that people are not perfect and ask why one would want to do that. How does Lewis respond? Well, he, he says basically that like, yeah, that would be a good point if the goal was to determine blame, Mm -hmm. like how much blame. Um, but he says like, that's not really my goal here. My goal is fact it's truth like it's right. not about like guilt yeah but yeah and, and there's you know there's another one that uh that that i think we all deal with every day is is sometimes we find ourselves um you know just trying to give data to someone but they're having a bad day or they're particularly touchy or they have real emotional unhealth or whatever mm-hmm. and and so you're simply giving them data you're saying uh, you know, I need more from you. You've done the assignment, but you haven't done it to the extent that it needs to be done. Could you go back and do more? And, and you're not making a judgment, really. You're simply stating the requirements or the expectations or whatever. And yeah. the next thing you know, you're getting a hostile response from somebody. And so I think that's kind of along these lines. You know, he's just saying, look, I I just want to to lay out the facts right yeah. now. You know, so... Um, so he says the notion, or, or I should say our study guide says the notion of something being imperfect or not being what it ought to be raises a significant point. Lewis clarifies this point by looking more closely at the laws of nature. How does he differentiate between the laws of nature as applied to stones or trees and the law of human nature? So this was interesting to me. I mean, I get what he's saying. Because he's saying, like, that if you look at laws of nature, like, like, like what trees do or what rocks do or how weather works, that you could argue that they're not really, truly laws because what you're saying is that, okay, yeah, a stone that falls from high to low is just doing what stones always do. So it's not really a law, which I'm not, I don't know, I don't know. I'm not like that deeply scientific, so I don't know if I could argue that or not. But like he says that if that's the case, then you can't really, but you can't really say that with the law of human nature because you can't be like, well, that's what humans always do. Like, so it's a little more flexible. Well, you know, so, so I was talking about the argument, um, uh, that there's an awful lot about humans that is like every other animal in creation. And yet there's certain aspects of human nature that are unique and, and uh, you know, mainly the mind and so forth. So what, what I think he's saying is, is, you know, nature does what nature does. You know, we were joking about this a week or two ago about how, how you know, unless it's a Disney animated flick, the salmon's just going to go where it goes. And the bird's going to fly where it flies. That, that, that creatures have got sort of innate instincts that drive what they do. And if in the case of a rock or a tree, well, 
It's interesting because when I picture a stone and a tree in my mind, the first thing I think of is one of those fabulous trees that somehow managed to grow on a stone. Mm -hmm. You know, and that sort of illustrates, I think, what he's saying is is that, that a stone's is going to sit there because that's what stones do. And that tree is going to grow one way or another. It's going to find a way to put its roots into soil that will feed it and to hold itself fast in the wind. And, and it's remarkable when you see something like that, but it's also not like the trees will. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not as though this tree, again, unless you're talking about a Disney flick or some sort of animated Pixar thing, the fact is, is that the tree is just doing what trees do. It's not trying to, you know, grunt and groan and say, I think I can, I think I can. And that's all wonderful for a children's story. But in reality, that's just the beauty of creation. It's designed to thrive. It's designed to succeed. Human nature is designed to thrive and succeed, but it's also been given this, this uh, uh, unique quality of being able to say, I don't care if it's bad for me. Yeah. I don't care if it's wrong. I'm going to do it. The devil may be duded or whatever. So, uh, what? Question four. One might be tempted to try to explain away this oddity of the law of human nature by saying it is really only some feature of the laws of nature that happen to be inconvenient or non beneficial to oneself. Why isn't that true, according to Lewis? Read that again. One might be tempted to try to explain away this oddity of human, the law of human nature by saying it is really only some feature of the laws of nature that happens to be inconvenient or non-beneficial to oneself. So in paragraph four, he says why that's not true. Oh, yeah. He talks, he gives the example of the guys on the train, like that if you want the nice corner seat on the train, but one guy gets there before you, you're not going to be like really mad at that guy because he just got there before you. Mm -hmm. But if you sit your stuff down and then you turn around and a guy comes up behind you and moves your bag and sits down, like you're going to be mad at him and because he's inconveniencing you. And, um, and then like he gives another example of like um, traitors in a war. Mm -hmm. Like if there's a traitor on the other side of the war you're gonna be like hey buddy talk to me but then you're gonna treat him like dirt afterwards mm. because he was a traitor so it's all about convenience is and those are the examples he gives but he's like but you can't say that that's like that that's decent behavior because well, <laughs> No, I, I get it. it was, I was just thinking, <laughs> like, there's a uh, there's a movie, I think, that Al Gore was behind, or a book, I think it was actually to start with, that was, he called it the inconvenient truth, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it was basically saying, it doesn't matter whether it's convenient or not, it's true. Yeah. And I neither support nor uh, reject Al Gore's premise. I just know that he's a big environmentalist, mm -hmm. and he wanted to say to people, like it or not, this is the state of affairs yeah. as far as he knows and as far as he's researched. And we have to deal with it because it's not going to go away just because we don't, Cause we don't like consider it, it convenient, yeah. you know. And so I think that's kind of, again, you know, a, a sort of modern-day interpretation of that. So he says, so the question then on uh, 
is uh, on, on the next paragraph, paragraph five. Others might try to explain away the law of human nature in terms of benefiting society or humanity as a whole. How does that fall short? Well, I know like he's... I, I highlighted this whole big section and wrote next to it, circular reasoning. <laughs> because, like, he goes into this whole thing where he's talking about how, like, if you... If you say, like, why shouldn't someone be selfish? And the response is, because it's good for society. Then somebody else could come along and be like, why should I care what's good for society if it's not doing something for me? And then the person's like, because you shouldn't be selfish. And, like, it's just literally <laughs> circular reasoning. <laughs> like, well, I'm laughing because I was just looking at the at the author of the study guide and... and he introduces a word to us word nerds that looks good. It's called tautology. Ooh. T-A-U-T-O-L-O-G-Y. Tautology is basically saying the same thing over and over again without actually giving a reason. So circular reason. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> and this is a new word to use now. I will not say one thing or the other about political issues, except to say that I find that extremists re- repeatedly do this they simply keep saying over and over again why they refuse to agree with their opposition and they never really give practical explanations for it they just say you know i don't agree with you you guys are just wrong i'm never going to go along with that mm -hmm. but they never actually give you rational <clears throat> explanations you know for their which, which, you know, I get it. When you're emotionally invested in something, you can be very emotional. But if, if you're a thinking person, then at some point you may have to be willing to hear rational arguments that oppose your perspective on things. And that's where we break the circle. You know, that's where the tautology ends. But, you know, I, I hate to say it, but a protester is usually just doing, you know, they're not only... Speaking tautology, but by law in this country, they have to move in a circle, you know, because they're not allowed to stand still. They have to keep moving. Mm -hmm. So so they're walking in a circle and they're talking in a circle because they're trying to draw attention to their grievance. And, and technically, the protester should have at least one person or a document or something that they're referring you to that gives the rest of the argument. So anyway, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. kind of going off on a tangent, but and maybe showing my age a little bit, but... So uh, the next paragraph, well, I love this. To wrap up this chapter, the study guide gives us a couple of bonus questions. Uh, this one he calls a thinking cap question. What do the above notions of blaming others for not being perfect, personal beneficence, and societal beneficence each have in common relative to the law of human nature. Hint, think of the word ought. Well, I, was, I wasn't thinking of the word ought, but I was thinking of the fact that like all of those things kind of point at external controls. Mm -hmm. So instead of looking inward at like, well, I guess ought like what you what the right thing to do is period for you. Mm -hmm. 
you're looking at all of the outside factors and saying, well, it's because of this or because of this. And like, it's an external focus instead of an internal one. Yeah. Um, so the author of the study guide says each are applications of the ought, not acknowledgments of the existence of the ought as something separate and apart from the machine of nature. Mm-hmm. Separate and apart from my biological instincts or desires and apart from learned social conventions. So it, it sounds like what he's saying basically is, is that um, in a natural world where there's a natural law that even applies to humans, then the ought doesn't count because it just doesn't. Mm-hmm. And our willingness or or ability to reject that doesn't change it. So that's the inconvenient truth again. And so he's saying that, that, you know, it all comes down to acknowledging that there isn't uh, a concrete answer unless you accept certain natural states of affairs, I guess. Mm -hmm. Now the bonus, bonus question (laughs) or exercise At the end of the chapter, Lewis writes, Consequently, this rule of right and wrong, or the law of human nature, or whatever you call it, must somehow or other be a real thing. A thing that is really there, not made up by ourselves. So, rhetorically, ask yourself, do I actually believe that right and wrong, universally and inescapably, possess or haunt all human beings around the world? And... The author of the study guide refers us to C.S. Lewis's book, The Abolition of Man. Mm. And so I want to go to the appendix of our study guide because it turns out that uh, he has some quotes there from that other work of Lewis that will be helpful to us. And they are right there. So from the abolition of man, Lewis says some negative issues that sort of illustrate the law of general beneficence. I have not slain men, which is an ancient Egyptian confession that says killing others is wrong. And do not murder is an ancient Jewish idea that comes right out of Exodus. Mm -hmm. Terrifying not men or God will terrify thee is another ancient Egyptian precept. I have not brought misery upon my fellows. I have not made the beginning of every day laborious in the right in the sight of him who worked for me. That's another ancient. So ancient Egyptians, according to Lewis's research, definitely had a sense of certain basic moral law. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. The, there's a Babylonian saying that he quotes, who, who, who meditates oppression, his dwelling is overturned. So there's a Babylonian belief that oppression is wrong. Um, he who is cruel and calumnious has a character of a cat. That's a Hindu saying. Mm-hmm. Slander not, a Babylonian saying. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Bet you know where that one came from. <laughs> Utter not a word by which anyone could be wounded, that's a Hindu saying. Has he driven an honest man from his family, broken up a well-cemented clan? 
that's considered wrong in Babylonian thought. So these are interesting. And then here's some positive attributes from, from uh, wisdom literature throughout the ages. Nature urges that a man should wish human society to exist and should wish to enter it, which is from Cicero, a Roman thinker. Mm -hmm. By the fundamental law of nature, man is to be preserved as much as possible. That's Locke, mm. John Locke. Yep. And when the people have multiplied, what next should be done for them? The master said, enrich them. Jen Chu said, when one has enriched them, what next should be done for them? And the master said, instruct them. And that's ancient Chinese wisdom. Speak kindness, show good, uh, show goodwill. That's Babylonian. And so, you know, Cicero again, men we uh, were brought into existence for the sake of men that they might do one another good. Now, I think it's ironic, especially when I'm reading the Egyptians and the Romans, because if you're Bible believers, then you know that they had a habit of oppressing the people. Mm -hmm. So obviously they think that even though these are morally true. Um, but that kind of goes back to what Lewis says at the beginning of the chapter, that the odd thing about humans is that they think about what they ought to do, but then they don't do it. Right. So there's a bunch of brilliant thinkers who, who thought about yeah, it. Yeah, they, they thought about moral law, but they thought it only applied to people like them. Yeah. You know, and, and so they don't get around the fact that, that uh, some human beings may not seem equal to you, but, you know, in the eyes of God, they are. So it's interesting. But I still think it's a good sign because if humans are thinking about... If they're, if they're even thinking about what it takes to be a good person, then they're striving at least a little, which is not a bad thing. Because at least some of them are going to put it into action. Well, and speaking of not a bad thing, it's not a bad thing that this week's, uh, this episode, <laughs> I, we try to record them weekly, so I have a habit of saying that. But mm -hmm. turns out this episode is about over, and yeah. we're running at 30 minutes here. And uh, that's okay, because I may start a fit of coughing at any moment, <laughs> and it's probably for all of our benefit that we go ahead and wrap now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, folks, we really enjoy your comments on the Facebook group. We enjoy hearing from you. Um, we've gotten some terrific insights that you can read if you'll visit the Facebook group, Knowing God with Heart and Mind. And uh, the conversation is rich and fulfilling, and we hope you'll be a part of it. And... Uh, at the same time, we really hope to get to know you face-to-face. -face. So if you're not going to church somewhere and you happen to be down here in southwest Indiana, we'd love to see you at Shiloh. Uh, Shiloh Worship is every Sunday at 845 and 1045 and a whole lot of stuff in between. There's something going on at Shiloh every day. There really is. So come on by and see us. We'd be glad to meet you. If you're further away than that, drop us a line. We'd love to meet you over the over the internet somehow and chat with you. We continue to, to consider all sorts of possibilities for broadening, broadening our reach and, and not because we think our message is so unique, but simply because we want to be connected and, uh, and to make church happen in all conceivable ways. That, that's the idea, to simply join God in what God is doing, mm -hmm. quoting Henry Blackaby. So with that, I guess we're about done. Do you have anything else to say? I don't think so. Keep reading Lewis. Mm -hmm. Watch for piglets on the highway. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next time. God bless you and goodbye. Bye.